Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. When I was 12 or 13, I remember my dad taking me to a Pittsburgh Pirates baseball game at Three Rivers Stadium, and probably because it's so cold, I've been thinking of warmer memories. It's also hard to believe that that stadium's been gone for about 20 years now. But it was a special trip uh, because it was just me and dad, and when our whole family would go, you know, I'm one of nine kids, we would sit in what was referred to as peanut heaven. Anybody remember peanut heaven? I think it was actually a mile in the sky, if I'm remembering correctly. But those were the cheap seats at Three Rivers Stadium. But on that particular occasion, when it was just me and dad, we had really good seats. And um, I don't know if you did this as a kid, but anytime we went to a ball game, we always brought our glove because we were convinced we would catch a foul ball or a home run. Even though it never happened, we would bring our glove again. So brought my glove along, and since I was a little bit older, I went to the concession stand alone, got a few snacks, came back to our seats, and Dad was holding my glove with sort of a smile on his face. And I'll never forget what he asked. He said, Josh, what do you think the odds that while you were gone, a ball was hit and landed in your glove? And I remember thinking, well, that would be awesome, Dad, but there's no way that that could ever happen. He slowly handed me my glove, closed shut. I held it, hoping that there would be something inside. And I will never forget that day when I opened the glove And there it was, a major league baseball with a big black mark across it. And I wish I could have seen it, but my favorite part of the story is dad said there were a lot of guys who hit the ground for that ball. And he said, you don't want to know what I had to do to get you that ball, son. (laughs) You know, I thank God, um, man, just probably about every day for my father and my mother and how they have loved me and invested in me from the day I was born until today. And as Christians, we believe that this is what God designed for children, that they would have a mother and a father who would love them and care for them, nurture them, protect them, enjoy them. And for many of you, that was your experience, but we know that for many, it's not. And perhaps you know that all too well. Sometimes a father or a mother or both will pass away. And sometimes a father or mother, for a variety of circumstances, will walk away. And then because of abuse or neglect, substance use or other circumstances, there's times where children are taken away and they're placed into the care of another family member or into foster care or a group home setting. 
Today, as we continue our series, Unusual God, we will see that God is a father to the fatherless, and he is compassionate towards all who are vulnerable and at risk. This is an amazing quality that you will see so clearly from scripture today. But before we dive into those scriptures, I wanna share a few statistics because I think it's important as you hear these truths about who our God is that you keep in mind what is happening all around us today. In the United States right now, there are over 400,000 children in foster care at no fault of their own. Many of them have been traumatized and many suffer from PTSD. And while the hope and the goal and the prayer for foster care is reunification, and it is so beautiful when that happens, when mom or dad or both are able to get the help and resources they need to bring their children back home, we know that that doesn't always happen. So right now in our country of those 400,000 plus, 120,000 of them are in immediate need of adoption because the parents' rights have already been terminated, most of whom are over the age of 10. And this year, it's estimated that 20,000 of them will age out of the system completely without a family member to call their own. And youth, statistically, who age out of the system without a family have a much higher likelihood to abuse substances, become homeless, unemployed, incarcerated, or for young women to be pregnant before the age of 21. And as most of you are aware here in West Virginia, we've continued to experience a foster care crisis that's in large being fueled by the opioid crisis. And in 2013, there were approximately 4,000 youth in care. And today, there are over 7,000, which is the highest percentage per state capita in the United States. In addition to that, there are an estimated 35,000 children who are living in the primary custody of their grandparents. We call, the, we call these brave, amazing grandparents grandfamilies because the parents were not able or have decided not to take care of their children. And finally, another 15,000 are in the primary custody of an aunt or an uncle or an older sibling, bringing that number right now in West Virginia to 7,000 in foster care and upwards of 50,000 in other forms of family's care. And as I reflect on these sobering statistics, I wanna remind each of us that all of, each of those numbers represent a human life. A baby, a toddler, a child, a teen, who has been made in the image of God and they have eternal worth and value. And I, and I know that this breaks your heart. These teens and these children just want to be wanted, they want to be loved. And it breaks my heart and I know it does your too, but catch this, and this is really the crux of today's message. My compassion and concern, and your compassion and concern, the genuine, is nothing compared to how God feels about this. Nothing. Because he has a heart for those who are vulnerable among us. And today as we continue this series, this is what we'll be focused on. 
that caring for the vulnerable among us is God's heart and our responsibility. And it's these three main ideas that we're gonna sit with today, that who are the vulnerable among us today? What scripture says about God's compassionate heart towards those in need and what is our responsibility? And my hope and prayer as I've been working on this and and praying over this is two things. One, I pray that today your eyes would be open, your heart would be enlarged to who God is. That you would fall in love more deeply with him because of his great love for those who are vulnerable. He is unlike any other God of the Egyptians, the Babylonians, he is unique. And that though he is all powerful, he is close. And I pray that this message draws us in to a heart of praise for our God. And secondly, that we really would consider what our responsibility is as followers of Christ, as ones who have been graciously adopted into his family, that we would take seriously our responsibility today to care for the vulnerable among us. So first, let's consider the vulnerable among us, caring for the vulnerable among us. In Exodus 20, after God had freed the Egyptians from slavery, we see the Ten Commandments given in Exodus 20, and we're very familiar with those. But after the Ten Commandments, there were a number of other laws and commands given to the people to shape this new nation. And specifically in Exodus chapter 22, God gives laws concerning the vulnerable among them. And it says this, You must not exploit a foreign resident or oppress him since you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will no doubt cry to me and I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will burn and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to my people, to the poor person among you, You must not be like a money lender to him. You must not charge him interest. And if you take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before sunset, for it is his only covering. It is the clothing for his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I will listen because I am compassionate. These groups of people represent vulnerable people the foreigner who has found their way into this community, the widow, the fatherless or orphan, and the poor. And what they have in common are two things. All of these groups, they don't have a structure, a family structure in place to provide for their most basic needs, food and clothing and shelter and love, the basics. And they also are lacking a group of people who will provide protection for them, who will be looking out for them to make sure they're not harmed. Now, you're familiar in the Bible that when we see the phrase widows and orphans in places like James 1.27, this is the phrase that's often used to describe those who are vulnerable. But in this passage and in places like Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 24, we see that that the poor, 
and the foreigner and in other places the prisoner are all grouped in to give us this broader idea that whether they're a widow, an orphan, whatever their circumstance, they are vulnerable because their needs are not being met and they're not being protected. Now, in our modern vernacular, we might use words like this. Vulnerable is a person who is in need of special care, support, or protection because of age, whether that be young or old, disability, or risk of abuse or neglect. So as a protection for those who are at risk, God gives these commands, and he was very specific about it. And if the laws were broken, this passage makes it abundantly clear what would happen. It says that God would compassionately hear the cries of those being abused. God knows. Yes, he is keeping the universe spinning, but he hears every single cry of every single person who is being abused, who is being exploited, who is being overlooked, who is being pushed aside. God promises to hear the cry. He also says that his anger would burn. And third, that he would deal harshly with the abusers. God was and God is very serious about this. But yet, people then and people now disregard these commands. And as a result, people are suffering. Children, the elderly, those with disabilities, they are suffering. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see Israel failing time and time again to do what God told them to do. And God's burning anger and his judgment are clearly seen throughout the Old Testament prophets. Whether it be Zechariah or Hosea or Jeremiah or in this case, Isaiah. Hear, hear these words. Isaiah chapter one. Oh, sinful nation. People weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on him. Wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do what is good. Seek justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the right of the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Your rulers, and your rulers are rebels, friends of thieves. They love graft and chase after bribes. They do not defend the rights of the fatherless. And the widow's case never comes before them. You know, reading this passage and so many that are very similar, it reminds me of the phrase righteous anger. Because it is right to get angry when someone who is vulnerable is being abused or exploited or overlooked. It is right to get angry about those things. God has put that deep within us so that we are moved to action. And I remember one of the first times that I had a righteous anger swell up in my teenage heart. Me and my brothers carried a news, newspaper route. Some of you have no idea what that is. Look it up. It was this ancient practice of carrying paper around and throwing it on porches. It was great. Ask your parents or grandparents. But many of the, those on our paper routes uh, were widows. And uh, me and my brothers knew how to hustle a little bit. 
So we started a lawn care company. We were like 10, 11, 12 years old. And we took care primarily of widows who were on a fixed income. And we were taught to work hard and to treat people fairly. So for a small yard, it was 15 bucks. For a mid-sized yard, maybe 20, 25. We had a couple that were an acre that we would push, right? About 40 bucks for those lawns. And there, were, there was a time where we pulled up to a house, to a widow's home, and it had been hot and the grass didn't grow, so we didn't cut it. There were a few weeds here and there, but we did not want to take advantage of a widow who would pay us to cut the grass, even if it didn't need cut. And while we were there, another lawn care company, might call them our competitor, roll up to another widow's home. We knew she was. They jumped out. There were a few weeds. They knocked down, got out their blower, put the bill on the door, and were gone in about five minutes. And I'm telling you, sure as the ground I stand on, I was so mad. I was angry because this widow had been taken advantage of. And wherever there are vulnerable people, evil people will be looking for ways to take advantage of them. This has been true throughout human history. And if we are honest with ourselves, Isaiah's prophecy could absolutely be directed to us today. We see needs, but we do not meet them. We're aware of injustices, but we do not speak up because we know it will cost us something, whether it be time, money, energy, comfort, our reputation, space in our home, things that we don't wanna give up, and this is wrong. And I confess that there are many times I've been aware of needs that I overlooked, many times that I, there was an injustice that I didn't speak up, but I wanna encourage us to recognize that God is serious about this. He always has been. May we heed these words. So, so the vulnerable will always be among us, and we have to understand that caring for them is God's heart. It's God's heart. And that's what makes this different than doing the right thing or social justice or being a good person. Caring about these things is tapping into the heart of God. In Psalm 27, it says this, even if my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord cares for me. Even if mom and dad leave for whatever reason, the Lord cares for me. Psalm, 150, Psalm 146, a psalm titled, The God of Compassion. I love this one. It says, happy is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Ever. And catch this, executing justice for the exploited. Giving food to the hungry, the Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. I love this passage because it paints a picture of our huge, all-powerful creator God who is not like the Egyptian, the Babylonian gods, who only care about themselves, but he is close, and he is near, and he is compassionate, and his ears are open to the cries of the people. And then in Psalm 68, I love this one. It says, sing to God, sing praises to his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds, 
His name is Yahweh and rejoice before him. God is in his holy dwelling, a father to the fatherless, a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. Another translation says God sets the lonely into families. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a scorched land. To the father of the fatherless, the champion of widows, the provider of families, we praise him, we rejoice in him, we exalt him. So just from those three psalms alone, listen to what it says God does. He cares, executes justice, feed, frees, heals, protects, helps, fathers, champions, provides, and leads. This is God's heart. Can we praise him today for who he is and what he does? Come on, let's praise him. I know we normally don't do this talking back, but this is who our God is. This is his heart. It has always been and it always will be. And as a father, a very imperfect one, I will add, I love all of my children, but when one of them are sick or injured or hurting in some way, my heart goes out to them. I draw close to them. When they're, when they're sick with the flu or they're upset, you're just drawn when your child is in pain. It's not playing favorites. It's just the right thing to do. And you do the same. And in the same way, our perfect heavenly father, when he sees one of his children hurting, or sick, or in, need, or in need, scripture says he draws close. Not playing favorites, it's just the right thing to do. It's who our God is. And while I love these psalms, there is no clearer display of God's heart for the vulnerable than in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 13, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. If you see Jesus in action and you can read about it in the Gospels, you have seen God's heart. In Luke chapter four, he read a prophecy about himself that says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus set out to do. And this is what Jesus did. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He brought close the marginalized. He was not afraid to get messy. He stepped into it. And scripture also says that he was very careful to pay attention to and advocate for children. And we see this very clearly in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said this, whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes one child, whoever brings one child in need close, you are welcoming me, Jesus said. But then he said, whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for him a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and were drowned in the depths of the sea. You see, at that time, children were not valued, which I guess we could say isn't maybe a lot different than our culture today. But Jesus cared. 
He advocated for them. And he gives a very stern warning if we don't take care of them. So all throughout Jesus' ministry, he perfectly and compassionately cared for the vulnerable. He did what God commanded his people to do, and it's his example we follow. So knowing who are vulnerable and knowing the heart of God is seen in the Psalms and in Christ, let's consider our responsibility. In the New Testament book of James, which was written by Jesus' half-brother, Chapter 1, verses 19 to 27 have a heading over it that says, Hearing and Doing the Word. And what this session is talking about is we can't just hear God's Word. We can't just hear God's commands as we've already looked at. We have to do it. Otherwise, our faith, James says, is dead. It's useless. It's worthless. So in that context, a very famous verse which you've probably heard, James 1.27 says, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this. This is what it is. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, most of the time, we read this verse and we talk about this very important command to obey. There's only one problem with that. This actually isn't a command. It's a description. It's a description of what Christians do. It is our faith. It is our responsibility. It is not a tack on. It is our defining characteristic. And it's pure because what we do for the vulnerable cannot repay us. And we don't do it for return. We do it because it's God's heart. And it's what we do as Christians. If you think about a teacher, what what makes a teacher? It's not that they say they're a teacher. They teach. And if a teacher didn't teach, what would that make them? Not a teacher. Christians care for the vulnerable. And if we don't, what does that say about us? What does that say about our faith? It was in 1 John that says, if you see someone in need and you don't help them, how can the love of God be in you? Not only do we see this laid out in James as the essence of our faith, Jesus said it. And he said, if you do it for the least of these, you actually have done it for me. And and this is one of the most powerful passages in scripture. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. A stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. Sick, you took care of me. A prisoner and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That's amazing. When you care for the vulnerable around you, you are doing it for Jesus himself. It's illustrated perfectly in this piece of art from a German artist called Christ of the Breadlines. Take a look at this image. I love this image because whoever was serving bread to the people in this line were serving bread to Jesus. 
And when you accept your responsibility to care for the vulnerable, whatever you are doing for the least of these, you are doing it for Jesus and you will be blessed. But this passage continues. I encourage you to read it. Matthew chapter 25, it says, when you don't accept your responsibility and whatever you are not doing for the least of these, you are not doing it for Jesus and you will be judged. This is the same echo of Exodus 22 and the prophets. Care for the vulnerable or we will be judged. So Christianity in its most pure form is to become more and more like Jesus and our love for God and our love for others, especially the vulnerable, and then to care for them just as he did. So this morning, what are we gonna do with this message? How are we gonna put it into practice? Let me give you three ways. First and foremost, and I might say this is the most important because it has the greatest potential for impact, it would be to look out for and sacrificially help vulnerable people in your life. Look out for them. Start within your family. A grandchild, a niece, a nephew, an aging parent, who needs your help in your family? Then look within your neighborhood. And then move out from there into your schools and your workplaces and your community. Who needs your help? It's that simple. Who needs help and help them? It's not the government's job. They can absolutely help and they do. There's not a program that's gonna fix all of these things. It's our responsibility. If you see a need, meet a need right among you. Secondly, I wanna encourage you to support Amazing local organizations who are serving vulnerable populations. As a church, we have fostered tremendous relationships with a number of local organizations. And I implore you to be a part of what they're doing. Christian Help, Chestnut Mountain Ranch with Steve and Don Finn, Libera, American Red Cross, the Pantry Plus More, the Food Banks, West Virginia Sober Living and Compass Women's Center, who I am very pleased to highlight today because today is National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and that's what they do. They help women choose life for their babies. So I encourage you to support them with your time, energy, prayers, and resources. And then third, engage in what the Ridge is doing for vulnerable people. If you've been around here any length of time, we're either starting a drive or we're ending a drive. Our food drive feeds the poor and our backpack drives helps Families get ready for school and our coat drive helps keep people warm and our benevolence fund that you faithfully give to helps pay utility bills and other needs all year round. We're so grateful for what you do and we encourage you to keep it up. And one final way to engage in what's happening through the Ridge is to be a part of our brand new ministry, Foster West Virginia. And I wanna share just for a, a few final moments about all that God is doing it was actually one year ago this weekend that we took a big step as a church, and we all did, to say we're going all in. We're all in as a church, from our board to our staff to our people. We're all in for vulnerable families and children. So I guess we could wish Foster West Virginia a happy birthday today. And in this past year, as you have prayed and given and taken action, we've seen measurable progress in so many ways. And if I had an hour, I could use every minute. Here's just a few. 40 volunteers have been trained, recruited, and deployed to serve foster kinship vulnerable families. They're doing a great job. Meals, babysitting, laundry, it's awesome. 
Quarterly family events have helped let kids be kids. Carnival we've had, we rented out the aquatic center pool party and coming up in February, we're gonna take the kids to a, a women's basketball game at the Coliseum. Bells and whistles, can't wait. Third, we've opened our resource room. It's fully operational. Brand new items that you are filling. Beds, cribs, clothes, formula, diapers, blankets, stuffed animals, all new, all brand new. It's so awesome. It's helped dozens and dozens of family. A few months ago, we hired our first Foster West Virginia coordinators because it's growing. Delaney Archer and Grace Hill are doing a great job, highly qualified, working to grow the impact. And then finally, because of your giving, you provided financial support to our partner, Chestnut Mountain Ranch. And I'm so happy to report that they've hired their first director of foster care initiatives, Greg Clutter, who is the perfect guy for this job. And they have launched now Chestnut Mountain Village, a statewide branch of their ministry that will equip and train churches throughout our state and it has already started. Can we give God a hand of praise for all of that? I love it. I can't wait to be up here a year from now on our second birthday to share what God is going to do. So this week, I wanna encourage you to go to the ridge.church slash fosterwv and you can see how you can pray for these things. We have specific prayer requests. I want to see ways that you can give financially, that you can give to the foster room and how you can take action, where you can become one of these volunteers. We've got orientations coming up that you can attend or you can take a bold step and become a foster parent. And Grace and Delaney would love to talk with you, get you ready for that step and then put you in touch with a number of local agencies. You know, this past year, this past year, it has been a privilege to have a front row seat to what God is doing. And probably the best part is just seeing and meeting and knowing you among our church who are fostering, who have fostered to adopt, who are caring for your family members. It's awesome. I had no idea how many of you are already in our church doing what we're talking about today. It makes us so proud. And each and every one of you have encouraged me personally, my faith, to see you living out God's heart and taking responsibility. And it's because of you that our family took a step. And my, my children were ready first, trust me. My four biological children, they were ready a long time ago. And then my wife, Hillary, was ready. And eventually I became ready. And we filled out all of our paperwork through the Children's Home Society in May. We completed our foster care classes over the summer in our home study. And I'm very happy to share that six weeks ago, we got a really cool phone call on a Tuesday. And now we have two amazing, beautiful brothers living with us who become a part of our family. And, and, I, and, I, and honestly, um, without our agency, Children's Home Society, without you, The Ridge, um, man, I don't know how people do it. 
it is hard, but it is rewarding, and it is beautiful, and it is messy, and it is all of those things, and there's really not much I can say because we're only six weeks in. <laughs> maybe in a few months I'll have more to share, but it is a joy, and it's an honor. Maybe, maybe just pray for my daughter, Sephora, because now she has five younger brothers to keep in line, all right? It was a tall order with three, but now she's got two more, but man, she loves it. You know, one of the families who inspired us are the Austins, an amazing family, part of our community. They started fostering this past May and we reached out and we just said, hey, could you share a note with our church? Could you just share kind of what has happened because of the church community? So she wrote this letter and, and I'm very happy to share it with you this morning. It says, this is from Shannon. It says, we're the Austin family. Eddie and I are the parents to two biological children and are currently fostering a sibling group of four. Whew. We are new foster parents through NECO Foster Care Agency in Fairmont, only beginning our journey in May of 2021. It's been a whirlwind, and I wish I had the right words to describe how much the Ridge and the Hazemeyer family, their foster volunteers, have helped us. Stephanie and her family have helped us in so many ways that we didn't even know we needed. From being a listening ear on the hard days to helping babysit a few hours, bringing meals and offering a lending hand. The resource room helped us get ready and meet needs along the way, car seats and many other essentials. It took a tremendous load off of us in preparing for our kids. The support from the church is incredible. And we love the foster events. The aquatic center was a really big hit for my crew. It just gave them the opportunity to kick back and be kids. We didn't anticipate fostering such a large sibling group. And while it has been the most fun and rewarding thing we've ever done, it isn't easy. But we definitely aren't doing it alone. It takes a village, as they say, and we are so thankful for ours. The kids that we are blessed to care for have so much love and community behind them. We thank you, church, from the bottom of our hearts, Shannon and Eddie. Shannon and Eddie, thank you for what you're doing. We're proud of you. Keep it up. We're here for you. And church, thank you for what you're doing. Because when you pray and when you give and when you act, you are a part. You may not be the one who has brought those four children into your home. But one of you bought their beds. One of you bought them a stuffed animal. You're praying for them. So as sons and daughters of God, who have been graciously and wonderfully and marvelously adopted into God's family. May we care for the vulnerable among us, whether the young or the old, whether someone with a disability, the poor. It is God's heart and it's our responsibility. Let me pray and then we're gonna sing. God, we give you the praise today. This is your heart. It has been from the beginning and it will always will be. Thank you that you free and heal and provide and protect and fight for the vulnerable. This is who you are. God, we confess the times where we fall short, where we see a need and do not meet it, when there's an injustice and we don't speak up. God, cleanse us. Renew a spirit within us, God, to be your hands and feet to the vulnerable among us who you love and who Jesus died for. We pray it in his name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.